Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, we have three beautiful phrases for you, family. We live, we love, we serve. Amen. I want today to turn our attention to a, a scripture that actually I preached a few weeks ago for a homegoing service of one of our beloved sisters, members here, uh, Sister Ayana Bullock, but a scripture that has stayed with me since that day. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 26, or rather, I'm sorry, 31, 31 uh, through 46. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And I'm reading from the Message Bible this morning. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And here's how it reads. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and on his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as shepherds sort out sheep and goats, putting sheep on his right and goats to his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my Father, Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats the ones on his left, and say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry, and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was homeless, and you gave me no bed. I was shivering, and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison, and you never visited me. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick 
or in prison and didn't help. He will answer them, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked and ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to the eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. Let's pray. God, may the words that you declare on today and the collective meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are still our rock. You are still our redeemer. God, we come today asking that you would allow your word to do its own work. And we will continue to honor you. But the truth is, God, we cannot honor you but hate our brother and sister. So we claim to love you. We claim to honor you. We are then compelled, obligated to love the person right next to us. For that person is a reflection of who you are. Thank you, God, for reminding us of that today. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Heavenly Dove, with all thy quickening power. Kindle a flame of sacred love in these cold hearts of ours. It is in your name we pray. Amen. 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 This morning, beloved, I want to speak from the thought, beautiful ignorance. Beautiful ignorance. This story, or I shouldn't say story, is Jesus giving an apocalyptic vision of what the judgment will be like. For those of us who are believers, who often think about whether or not we will inherit the kingdom or be part of the kingdom, for some, not all, the idea of judgment looms large over us. I've shared at other times from this pulpit that that idea of judgment was one that was imprinted upon me as a little boy. The church I grew up in on Long Island, they took some of us together, and while the adults was upstairs, they had the young people downstairs watching a film. Now, as I look back on that day, I in some ways think it must have been some form of punishment or cruelty, because I remember being traumatized by that event. In their own way, they were trying to help us make a decision to be Christian, or in much of our vernacular, to be saved. They showed us a film that depicted, among other things, what the judgment would be like for those who were deemed unworthy of heaven. In that film, I remember it so vividly, it talked about being on the right hand of God and not wanting to be on the left hand 
of God. They gave us these vivid images through film of people screaming, wailing, because they were burning in eternal fire. As I think about it now, that was a cruel thing to do for children at such a young age. But I remember coming out of that experience knowing that I did not want to burn in hell. For a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, that image of people burning was terrifying, traumatizing. But I knew, and it was not a difficult decision to make, burn or not. And whatever it took for me not to burn, that's what I was going to do. I also remember coming away with a very unique sense of significance and cosmic specialness because on that night I learned that somehow God has a preference for the right hand. And I remember that night thinking to myself, I'm so glad that I was right-handed and not left-handed because somehow God favored right hand more than the left. That's what I thought as a child. But at the end of the experience, the point was made clear. We needed to make a choice about where we stood. Did we want to go to heaven? Or did we want to go to hell? This scene in Matthew 25 is Jesus giving an apocalyptic vision, I'll say it again, of what judgment will be like. But the interesting thing is that before you get to Matthew 25, 31 through 46, there are two other stories that preceded that are connected to judgment and the kingdom. Here in Matthew 25, if you look at the very beginning of the chapter, it gives a story where Jesus tells a parable, and he begins the parable by saying, the kingdom of God is like... And then he outlines the story of 10 bridesmaids who are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. And they were all there with their lamps. But of the 10, five of them did not have extra oil. But another five had extra oil. And they were sitting there waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. But the bridegroom was late. And so as they all fell asleep, all 10 bridesmaids fell asleep. They heard a shout, a yell. The bridegroom is here. They all awakened, and they had to have a very important job because the bridesmaids were the ones who, with their lamps, would have to escort the groom to the family of the bride. And they would have to light up the midnight procession, as the Bible says. That their responsibility was to guide the groom to their waiting family. And so, it says in the narrative that five of them were smart. They had extra oil in case the lamp and the light went out. And five did not have extra oil. And so when the bridegroom arrived unexpectedly late at midnight, the five who didn't have enough oil then needed more oil for their lamps, and they wanted to borrow oil from the other five. And, and so here it was that when the five who did not have oil then had to leave to go get oil, by the time they came back, the five who had oil had already escorted the bridegroom to the house. And when they got to the house to get access, the door was locked. The moral of the story was clear. The kingdom of God is something that you do not know when it will arrive. How it will show up. But the key is this. Be prepared. Then he shifts immediately to another story. The kingdom of God is also like a man who was an owner of a lot of land. And he had people who worked for him. And 
And to one, he gave five talents. In the Message Bible, it says $5,000. In the other, he gave $2,000. And to the other, he gave $1,000. And then he immediately left. The expectation was is that they would, take, they would take what was given to them by the owner and do something with it to multiply what they had been given. The one with 5,000 had doubled it. The master said, well done. In the King James Version, thou good and faithful servant, you were faithful over a few things. Now I will make you ruler over many. The second who had $2,000 doubled it. Master again said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and now I'll make you ruler over many. The one who had $1,000 had a different narrative. He sought to indirectly make an attack upon the master's disposition. I know that you are a cruel man at times. You can be hard at times. And I didn't want to make a mistake and lose what you gave me. So I took what you gave me, I dug a hole and buried it, and here you are. What you gave me, I'm giving back to you. And in the parable, Jesus puts in the words of the man, he said, what have you done? You did nothing with what I gave you? You could have at least gone to the bank and made an investment and gained the interest, but you did nothing. And here's what the message Bible says, that's no way to live life cautiously. And that was what the kingdom was like. One, be prepared. Two, don't live life cautiously with what God has given you. Make an impact, make a mark. And so Jesus shifts from the two stories of what the kingdom is like to now what the judgment will be like. And this story is the one, as I said before, hovers over many of us because we often think about what will it be like? How will I guarantee entrance? Let me pause for a second because in another one of the Gospels, Luke, Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom is not something that you'll say, look, there it is, or look, there it is. He said, because the kingdom is among you right now. Keep that in mind. Now you come to Matthew's text in 25th chapter. Now Jesus paints an image of what the judgment will be like. And this is, well, what you expect from the carpenter. Shocking. Because in the mouth of the carpenter, the judgment is not the way many of us think the judgment would be. Many of us base our faith and our Christianity on having the right set of beliefs the right doctrine, the right creeds, the right dogma. And we measure the efficacy of our Christianity by being able to say the right things, having the right words, knowing the right scriptures to quote, knowing the right doctrine to quote, knowing the right creeds to quote, knowing the right dogma to repeat. So what we repeat and what we replicate through our words and understanding of the faith, we believe shapes who we are as Christians. But look at the passage. This is Jesus' vision of what the judgment will be like. There's no questions about what do you say as a Christian. Well, Christian is not even in operation at times. As a believer, how do you say it? What is the way you say it? What are the things you believe? What are the scriptures you can recite? None of that is on the table in the judgment. I need you to see and hear this today. Because the carpenter upsets and upends every assumption we try to make about the judge, what the judgment will be like. Was I a good Christian? The truth is that as Jesus gives this example of the judgment, Christianity is not even in the play, the play or in the picture. 
Judgment will be measured, but not the way we try to manufacture efficacy in our fellowships. We want to make sure that we're saying the correct things and our language is right. We, at times, have a tendency to make our faith more about linguistic accuracy than behavior. And, well, let me, let me change that because then behavior becomes problematic because then we over-moralize our behavior and we start saying that if you do this, you won't get into the kingdom. If you do that, you won't get into the kingdom. The problem with is that some of the times, that we, the things that we use to measure our efficacy, our efficacy and our access to the kingdom are made on standards that we have created. You got to look this way, dress this way, be this way, act this way, talk this way, quote this way, sing this way. We base entrance on our standards. And oftentimes, the standards of what we determine makes a good Christian are often a reflection of our insecurity and our feelings of inferiority, and that we heap upon people expectations that we can't even honor ourselves. And we begin to now hold people accountable to these fabricated ideas of what we think makes people in and keeps people out. And isn't it interesting that the tools that we use to measure are shallow and superficial, and that means it's a reflection of our shallowness and our superficiality. Oh, I know you don't want to hear this this morning. That's why I love preaching this text, because this ain't Pastor Mike, it's the carpenter. Here's what he says. The judgment will be a separation of sheep and goats. Sheep will be in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. The goats will be on the left. And look at how Jesus, Jesus measures those who in the NRSV are labeled as righteous. Who are the righteous sheep? Are they the ones who belong to the right Religious expression, they belong to the right denomination. No. Are they ones who baptize differently? Well, this one baptizes in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This one baptizes in the name of Jesus. No. Are they the ones who are part of large churches versus smaller churches? Yeah, no. Or, uh, those who are righteous speak in tongues. No. What's the standard then, Jesus? How will you determine who's righteous, who gets access to the kingdom, who's a reflection of who you are? He said, here it is. Those who are righteous, you come take a seat on my right side. Why? Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was shivering, you gave me clothes. When I was sick, you came to see me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. Enter into my kingdom based on these standards. And this is what I love about it. My God, if you think about the laundry list of things we think make people Christian, isn't it amazing that often in our male, our, our human constructed ideals of Christianity, I wonder if these things would even make the list. Because we often don't hear it recited. Are you saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost? Have you been twice born, baptized, and then fire baptized after the water didn't do it? Just look at all the standards we use to determine if someone is saved. 
Well, if that's the definition, what good is it to be saved but have no kingdom access? Here's, here's, here's what's powerful about it. And I, I know there's going to be some folk angry with me today, but don't angry with me. Angry, uh, be, don't be angry with me. Don't even argue with me today. I'm sorry. Argue with the carpenter. Here's what I love about this. Jesus lays out access to the kingdom, the righteous, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give drink to those who are thirsty, visit those who are sick and in prison, welcome the stranger. And here's what I love, and I won't keep you long today. The righteous were unaware that they were even righteous. Hold on. (laughs) The sheep didn't even know they were sheep. No, you might have missed it. They didn't even know that they were qualified. Because look what the scripture says. The righteous, the qualified, the ones who get access to the kingdom. Look what they said. When did we feed you when you were hungry? When did we give you water when you were thirsty? When did we give you clothes when you were naked? When did we visit you in prison and in the hospital? When did we welcome you as a stranger? Pause. They were ignorant of the qualifications. In a word, they were beautifully ignorant. What do you mean by that? You see, it means that the things that qualified them according to the carpenter There were no boxes they checked to say, now we got access. In fact, they didn't even know that this was the measuring stick for access to the kingdom. They were simply doing what they knew to do, showing up in the way they knew to show up, being who they were. I hope you see this. There were no denominational divisions. There were no gender biases. There were no lines of demarcation drawn between the holy and righteous according to how they act. They simply did things that were reflection of their humanity and their divinity. When did we do this? And look what Jesus tells them. Every time you did it to those who were overlooked and ignored, it was me. You did it for me. Which means that Jesus saw no distance or disconnect between himself and those who suffer in ways that people still suffer today. There's still people who are hungry, still people in the world who are thirsty, still people who have no clothes, still people who are in prison, sick, no visits, Still people 
who are made to feel like strangers in familiar places. And if that is still happening, oh, the question is, where are the ignorant people who feed and give drink and clothing and visit and make feel welcome and don't even realize they're doing what is reflection of divine expectation? Oh, this is the scene of beautiful ignorance. Not even aware that you're pleasing God because you seek to help someone else. Not understanding that pleasing God is synonymous with helping another human being. Not even realizing that if the judgment is what we think it's going to be, Jesus just shattered it. It's not about how many times you attended church on Sunday. Because I know people who don't miss a Sunday but miss people all the time. It's not about how many quotes you got memorized of Scripture. Because what good is it to have Scripture in your head but no love in your heart? It doesn't matter how, how many times you do the ceremonies and the rituals when needed. Because what good is it to be ritualistic but not human? And then, as he says, the goats. You were hungry. I was hungry and you did not feed me. <sighs> Thirsty and you gave me no drink. Shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. A stranger and you didn't welcome me. And here they go. When were you? hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you shivering? When were you sick? When were you a stranger? And he tells to them in the negative, when you didn't do it to those who were overlooked and ignored, that was me. You did it to me. What? A penetrating transformation of apocalyptic expectation. Nobody told that little boy in the church basement that that's what qualified you. They just told us we didn't want to burn. But isn't it deep that there are people who are not trying to gain access who will get it? Because they just show up in a way that seeks to replenish other human beings. Maybe that's the work we're called to do. Maybe in connection to this passage, maybe in this scene, ignorance is truly bliss. Because if you do certain things to check the box, What's the motivation? What's the instigation? But when you show up to live, love, and serve, 
Because it's who you are. Watch this. You don't even concern yourself with judgment. Or what's going to happen when I die. Because you know what you did while you were alive. I was hungry. And you fed me. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. Cold. And you gave me clothes. Sick. Prison and you visited. Stranger and you welcome. You see, we here don't have to make up things to do. Matthew 25 makes it clear what we ought to be about. That's why when we create opportunities at FCBC to serve according to Matthew 25, we should be turning people away. Not because you're trying to get into the kingdom, but because it's just who you are. Why? The sign of your maturity as a spiritual being, as a human being, and as a believer is when you can see the face of God in everyone you see. When you can see the face of God in everyone you see, no one then has to teach you how to treat somebody. You honor them as you honor God. You love your neighbor as yourself. You live in a way according to this scene in which you are beautifully ignorant. You're simply living and being and showing up how you know to. Come on, family, lean in. Let's talk to God. God, if we're honest, there are moments on this journey where we make it so complicated. We create these standards because some place of insecurity within us wants to keep people out and let people in. God, it's a dangerous thing to want to serve you and to control everybody else. But God, this scene tonight, this scripture, this illustration by the carpenter reminds us that this journey as believers is not as difficult as we make it. It's not as complicated as we seek to make it appear. It's not about how much knowledge you attain. It's about the depth and expansion of your heart and your humanity. Thank you for this gentle reminder today, God. Because maybe the goal of this journey is to make it less complicated but more profound. 
there's nothing more profound than feeding someone who's hungry, giving water to someone who's thirsty, clothes to somebody who's cold, a visit to somebody who's sick or in prison, or making someone feel good when they enter a place and know no one. It's that simple. That is what makes us righteous, God. Thank you for reminding us of that this day. God, we love you. We honor you. But God, if we love and honor you, we have to learn to love and honor one another. Thank you for this reminder. This is our prayer, O oh God. In your name we pray. And we say, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.